0: Well, greetings everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, excited to bring you yet another episode. First off, I want to thank Chad McVean, another great picture of him with the Rec Poker patch. Fantastic stuff, man. You look good rocking that patch, dude. Thanks for all your support, all your encouragement. And thanks to everybody else out there. I've seen a number of people wearing hats and shirts and patches and Excited to see the brand building and raising awareness, raising listenership, and that's sort of exciting as we build our community of folks that are trying to get better at this game as we go forward. I also want to give a quick shout out to Mr. Brian Soja. Brian's been on the podcast before, episode 34, we interviewed him, and Brian just brought home the trophy from the Iowa State Championship, the MSPT held down at Meskwaki Casino, $90,000 and change uh, for Brian, fantastic result, just a great guy, a beloved figure in the Minnesota poker community, and just uh, all-around great dude, so shout out to Brian on that deal. I continue to talk to people about this huge correlation between people that show up on the podcast, contribute to the podcast, and then win tournaments, so at some point I'll have to do some sort of a statistical regression analysis to find out if there's really something to it, but it does seem that... the there does seem to be a pretty high correlation, or maybe we're just getting the best players in the world on the podcast. I don't know which it is, but it's been fun to see uh, some of the results for some of the folks that have been on the podcast. And speaking of the podcast, another uh, another great month for us. Once again, we set a record for the number of plays. So thanks again to all of you who are supporting and encouraging what we're doing here. The best thing you can do is like an episode, uh, rate us, review us on iTunes. Share us, follow us on Twitter at rec poker. Join the Facebook group rec poker, and also contribute to the discussion. Raise questions, uh, dialogue out there. It's fun to build this community of uh, like-minded people. So thanks again, and let's keep it going as we go forward. I have a few more interviews scheduled uh, today. We're going to be chatting with Kenna James, uh, my buddy Stacy Nelson, and I sat down to chat with Kenna, and also uh, next week uh, Sherry Bukowski who is the author of The Kaizen of Poker. That's an exciting interview I'm excited to share with you. And then there's a few more that are in the works. But hopefully by the end of September, early October, we're going to get back to some specific strategy pieces uh, and getting input from a number of players, professional and recreational players. And I'm just super excited about this because my plan is to really have this community of people help me build my own personal strategy uh, starting with focusing on hand-ranging and going from there. And I'm going to use myself as a guinea pig and really try to say, how do I build a strategy from scratch? And I think a lot of great insights are going to come along the way, even if you already have your strategy, you already have your ranges. I think the insights that we get along the way are going to be huge. But for somebody like me, Uh, who's never really formally built a strategy, Uh, I'm excited to see where this goes. So we're going to have some of the greatest minds in the poker world contributing to this. And so I think it's going to be some fantastic episodes coming forward once we get through these interviews, which uh, new ones keep coming up and I want to take advantage of it uh, when they come up. So some great folks and then some great poker strategy will be coming as well. So with that, uh, as I mentioned, Stacey Nelson and I today chat with Kenna James. Many of you know him from the Heartland Poker Tour Uh, He was also the runner-up to our very own Mike Schneider uh, when Schneids won the million dollars uh, in the Party Poker Cruise Tournament uh, several years ago, which was part of uh, propelling Mike to the Minnesota Poker Hall of Fame. So we're going to hear a word from Running Aces, who continues to sponsor us, and thanks to you guys for all your support and encouragement and all the co-branding that we do together on merchandise. It's fantastic. Uh, So we're going to hear from those guys, and then when we come back, you will hear the interview that Stacy and I did with Kenna James. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24/7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. All right, everybody. As promised, uh, here with Kenna James. Super excited, Kenna. First of all, my buddy Stacy and I are here. We're excited to hear what you have to say. But just first of all, thanks for taking the time, your your day off, and spending a little bit of it with us.
1: Uh, you're welcome, Steve. Stacy, nice to meet you guys and be introduced to your audience. Yeah, who- uh, you guys represent uh, the base of our poker community. Mm-hmm. And what all poker rooms around the world are based on, you know, which is not just the, the high level players and the Phil Ives and the Dan Negrano's, you know, the people that reach pinnacles and stuff like that. But the base of the mountain is all of us enthusiasts, the 60 million people <laughs> that play and love this game around the world. So it's uh, I've climbed the journey. Uh, in in many ways, I'm still on it myself, so it's great to be here with you guys and your audience.
0: I appreciate that. Well, tell us a little bit about, uh, I guess, where you're calling in from, but then also, how did you even get introduced to this game?
1: Wow. Well, I am calling in from Las Vegas, Nevada, one of the Part poker of cap. I call it the poker capital of the world. Between here, LA, you know, I think uh, maybe Florida's up and coming are the three, you know, main points of of the games. I uh, love it here right now. It's the poker mecca as everybody from around the world is traveling here from the World Series of Poker. I'm playing in the main event, the $10,000 event. I made it into day 2. But how did I get here? You know, um and it's it's been quite a journey. I started out in a small town in Michigan of 13,000 people. In my first poker game I remember, I played in um a garage with my buddy's dad and his army buddies. I was 13 years old. These guys were all old guys and we were playing nickel dime quarter in a game called guts. And my friend was in the house. I'm playing out with these guys, you know, with my paper route money. And that's how I started. And, uh, and I just had a natural competitiveness in me. Uh, my brother and sisters are older. And so I was always trying to get attention and, and fight, you know, to yeah. compete with them. And so I just had that natural instinct of wanting to compete, and wanting to be better. And then from there, uh, I didn't play again until t- maybe 1995, 96. I was 32 years old, which is a dinosaur in today's world. <laughs> right. Uh, but I was a young gun in those days. The average age was probably 50 back then. There's still smoky poker rooms and... Things And um, I started playing at Hollywood Park Casino, one and $2 limit Hold'em poker. And uh, my first book I read was Hold'em for Advanced Players by David Skolansky and Mason melmoth sure. And I started playing $20 tournaments at Hollywood Park Casino. And I first started traveling to Lake Elsinore, which was like 50 miles away because they had the best structured tournaments. $100 buy-in tournament was really huge. Uh, I played a $200 event, or 300 was the main event, and I remember playing with Alan Cunningham for the first time, <laughs> 1996, I think it was, and I finished third in that tournament, and he, he ended up winning it. It was, it was amazing, and everybody was around him. The Grinder was around in LA at that time, all these big names, and they were all sweating it out playing one, two, $20, $100 buy-in tournaments.
0: So you just kind of, you know, you started small, you took a gap. Now you've been sort of building as you go and you've entered, you know, bigger and bigger tournaments as you go. And now you're playing fully professionally or is is this what yeah, you Yeah, I, I played yeah. fully
1: professionally since, well, I, I guess since 2000 or 2002.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I haven't had another job uh, for the last. Uh,
0: yeah. Well, we, I mean, I guess we see on the HPT a lot. So you're doing some broadcasting or doing that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, but and I broadcast around but
1: I, so I have those things too, but yeah. uh but as far as playing, yeah, I've done playing full-time since, I'd say, t- 2000.
0: Well, it's been fun to watch on the HPT. I love having, you know, it seems like a good match. You and James seem like a good fit as far as, you know, entertainment as well as some of the strategy pieces. And I know you're only giving us a, a few of the hands. You know, we, we see very little of the final table. But, right. you know, appreciate uh, what you bring to the table there. And We learn, learn a bit, you. even though we recognize that, you know, we're just seeing some of the the TV hands. As yeah. it were, I do want to ask you one, one question, uh, about, uh, one of your, one of your past tournaments. I know your biggest score, at least on the Hinden mob is the 700 K in the, the party poker. And i am actually uh, gotten to know pretty well, the, the guy who bested you there. And so I'm curious, Mike Schneider, uh, who was just a young punk at the time. And I'm curious, uh, what you recall from that tournament and, you yeah. know, uh, sort of how, how that felt to kind of score that big yeah. early on in your career, I think.
1: It was tremendous. Uh, it was a tremendous feeling and a great accomplishment in my career. Uh, and Mike Schneider, by the way, I played with him. I, I'm not sure if it was a four- or five-day tournament, but on day three or day four, he was really short-stacked. I played yeah. with him most of the day. Matter of fact, I had him all in once, uh, and he escaped. He had a better hand. <laughs> he escaped another time, and he just kept building. And okay. he was just, he's just such a great player, disciplined um, strategist, uh, really knows the game. And he just, just kept propelling. And I knew he was going to be, you know, my, my toughest opponent. And sure enough. And by the time we got to the final table, there was just no stopping him. And when we got down to three handed, in fact, I was the lowest in stack. And the other guy, uh, fell victim of getting involved with him too often and allowed me to sneak into second place. So when we got to heads up, he had a that almost an insurmountable lead. Um, it's interesting
0: I've, you know, when I I've interviewed him a few times for the show, he's a Minnesota Poker Hall of Famer now. He's, you know, just a yeah. great a great dude and uh, you know, I asked him about his early career and he says one of the hands that actually made him realize that he was going to make it as a as a poker player was against you in that tournament and it was actually a hand that he lost. I don't remember the details of it, but you know, it was a hand where he, you know, he said, you know, at the end of the day it broke down where he was betting when he had it and then he, you know, gave it up once you know, you got there. And, uh, you know, he, he sort of said that was the time where he realized that he could actually play this game, even though it was a hand that he lost, which I think is a great testament to to his understanding of the game, not just being results-oriented.
1: how he dealt with the hand he lost? Well,
0: no, I, I remember, I don't remember all the details of it, but it was just, no, him, you know, he, he knew that he was ahead or that he, you know, his read was that he was ahead and he was betting, And then I don't know if you, you know, you check raised the river or you raised him on the river or whatever, and he got away from it. And somehow he knew that you actually had it, or maybe he went to show down, load down or something. But it was actually the result of the hand was you, you know, you took a nice pot off of him. But as he broke down the hand and he realized, you know, I was actually making the right decision on every street. He said that was when he started realizing that, you know, maybe that's wonderful.
1: Isn't that great? It's not a result-oriented. It's for a great, team. actually. And that's what really breeds confidence in players is, is being able to take your own direction, follow your instincts and your intuition, let go of, of I got to win this hand, or you know I've got to do this, or I'm supposed to do that. But being able to follow um, your own direction and knowing what direction to take yeah. and him being able to do that and realizing, hey, I'm in control. I'm in control of this. I love I can do this. It's a wonderful moment to have as a professional. It's really what crosses uh, the chasm from amateur to professional when you prove to yourself, not to anybody else, that you have the ability to do what you need to do in order to survive.
0: That's really well said. So I'm thinking about your time, obviously, as a player, your time on the HPT watching all these final tables. And, you know, I I think, I don't know how much you watch and how much is post-production editing or all that, but uh, I'm curious, sort of your take as you're, as you're watching these final tables, do you just kind of know right away, like which players are going to be the players to beat based on how they approach the game? Because I know clearly some of those final tables are pretty aggressive. Some of those are pretty passive. You see some people making folds that you're kind of like, really, I'm surprised by that. Or some, you know, some pretty loose calls. I'm just kind of curious as you're watching it unfold, or however that looks, whether you're playing or commentating. Do you just kind of know, you know, which players are going to be the ones that, to reckon with, and what is it that separates them, or what are what are those traits that you recognize? It's yeah, a
1: great question. Yes, the answer to your question is yes. Immediately, we call it profiling your opponents. See, just like uh, in the animal kingdom, you want to know who who's the sheep. <laughs> And who's the wolves, and, you know, who are the rodents, you know, and, you know who's going to be roadkill, who's going to destroy themselves, who's going to be the toughest to contend with. So absolutely you need to do that. Um, when I'm watching it, I'm, I'm more of a spectator. So I can tell, but it's, it's not, you know, it's just more for entertainment value. Um, and that, yeah, I kind of get an idea who's going to win and who's not even before I see it or who's going to do well. But there's always surprises. That's why the game we play, you know, there's suckouts, there's things that happen during the game that make people believe anyone can win. And that's true. Anyone can win any given tournament. Right. But in the long run, who's going to survive? Right. Who's going to continue to survive? five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. Um, And now to the specifics of your question, what do I look for? The first thing is mechanics. How do they handle their chips? How do they handle their body? How do they sit at the table? Do they show up motion during a hand? Are there betting tells? What are their standards and values? Meaning, what are they willing to bet into a four-player field? Some people will bet any pair. Some people will bet only top pair or better. Some people, if it's a four-way pot and it's a dry board, will only bet, you know, uh, top pair, top kicker. Other players are betting, you know, second pair into a four-player field. And they're not the pre-flop raiser. And you're thinking, wow, this person's really wide or they're loose, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's their standards or what they value you know, what they think. And, and a lot of times poker is a game or a competition of standards and values, right? Yeah. So you judge or profile a person based on those values, how loose they are, how tight they are, what they're going to invest their money with. And uh, so the, the, the more solid someone is, meaning what, they, what they're willing to bet with and continue with, um and be correct on that is determines a lot on the strength of the player.
0: And so obviously you're only going to encounter certain situations, you know, you're not going to encounter everything over one final table, but what I'm hearing is, you know, you you see somebody do a certain thing with second pair and you can sort of extrapolate that to saying well they're probably going to be generally, you know, looser tighter whatever that might be. And and so a different situation arises. You, you have this general feeling for that player. Is that what I'm yeah. hearing? Yeah,
1: well, well, let's, 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 let's yeah. look at a specific example. Let's say uh, you have Ace-A to spades in the big blind. okay? Yep. And let's find out what kind of player you are. <laughs> <And there's laughs> let's, let's, raise let's make Stacy do this. <laughs> and okay. there's a raise in middle position and two callers, and you complete out of the big blind. Yep. All right, and the flop is queen, eight, five, with one spade. Yeah. Now, you're first to act, and you got three people left behind you. How yeah. do you proceed, check or bet? Yeah, I'm
0: generally going to be in check call mode there probably.
1: Okay. So, a lot of a lot of players – so, so that's more standard. Okay, okay. that would be standard. And, you know, <laughs> would be check. Yeah. But let's say it goes, uh, you check, and it yep. gets checked to the last player. Who now makes a bet? you okay. your play? Call, fold, or raise?
0: Yeah, depending on stack size, I'll probably be tempted to raise there.
1: Okay, which is kind of a limit hold'em strategy to kind of thin the field and protect your hand a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit of protection. I think it's also, you know, I want to discourage those others from, from staying in there with a gut shot. I also want to, you know, I think the, the player that's last act is probably fairly wide there. They, they might just be taking a stab at it much more than... Right. You the preflop raiser or the person in second position.
1: Right. So, um, in, in limit hold'em, it's absolutely a raise. And no limit, it's questionable to raise. Right. If you raised in that spot a lot of times, I would consider you a pretty loose player.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd be, a tempted, lot of times, I'd be tempted to raise.
1: I'll tell yeah. you why. Because if I'm in the middle there and I have, like, a can, like, uh, if I'm last act, if I have, like, a queen ten or queen jack, a lot of times I'm checking that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So, anyway, so that's just, that tells me a little bit about you, right? I'm like, wow, this guy really values second pair into a four-player field. Right. And so, now, that's going to give me a line on you, and I'm going to play you probably more aggressively than I would somebody who's only going to raise there with ace, queen, or better.
0: Yeah, that's the tricky part for me, because, you know, in that spot, I'll I'll generally just check call with second pair top kicker, but uh, you know, my read isn't so much that I, I value second pair a lot as much as it is, boy, the first two, you know, probably didn't have top pair. They probably would have let out And the last guy. I'm just thinking might be taking a stab depending on the type of player he is. So that's where I always get, you know, to me, it gets a little bit tricky. Like, do you read me as somebody who's overvaluing second pair or somebody who's, uh, advanced enough to know that, you know, this guy could just be taking a stab with nothing. And I'm right player you know how do you how do you differentiate
1: i'm I'm reading it as you're over evaluating second pair whereas if you would call you're protecting your equity against somebody who's bluffing and you want to see what's going to happen with the two people in between
0: right pick up a spade draw or something as well on the turn or okay
1: yeah and and just see maybe you'll hit an eight on the turn uh maybe they'll maybe it'll get raised and re-raised behind you by the other people and you can easily get away from your hand right maybe uh Maybe they'll both fold and you'll see a turn and a blank will come. Now what do you do? Yeah. You know? (laughs) Right. You
0: know?
1: Yeah. uh, Or maybe a bluff card comes. I said queen eight, five, right?
0: Somewhere in there, yeah.
1: Yeah, so maybe it comes off a seven. Right. And now you decide to represent eight, seven. Right. And now you lead in, right? Right. So now you're accomplishing the same thing what you did before with a raise on the flop, but now you're betting in leading in on the turn. So if he's bluffing, you protect your equity Yep. You see? yep. and you're representing eight, seven where now if he had, if he doesn't have the queen, he's just going to give it up and you didn't give yourself the additional risk of putting that raise in with action behind you. Right. So it's a much more solid play. Okay. Than, uh than raising with two people behind you with second pair and, guessing whether the guy has a queen or not.
0: Right. And so so it goes to showdown, and you see that, you know, either I played more solidly or I overvalued second pair. You you, you see that. You make a mental note of that. And then Absolutely. That, and then that's just something that uh, in, in future hands you're able to kind of pull back out and say, okay, yes, I remember that situation. That's or, correct. Yeah.
1: That's correct. So now if you were the first guy that raised, and let's say I was in the middle, and I just folded because I had – Ace, jack of clubs. Right. And now I think, oh, this guy will check raise with second pair on the board. Okay. You see what I mean? So you put that Which one away. Now it for- <laughs> gives me your standard there. Uh, so that's going to allow me to call and bet a lot uh, wider w- against you.
0: Yep. Okay.
1: Whereas if you just called and then you either check, called turn, or, you know, whatever, and I got to showdown and I saw your hand, I go, oh, he protects, he's solid and he protects his equity in the hand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but let's say you called all the way down, All right. right? And then the guy turns over king-queen. He mm-hmm. checks the river, though. And now you turn over ace-eight, and he turns over king-queen, right? Yeah. Maybe he makes a really weak value bet on the river, and you right. call I go, oh, this guy's a calling station. I'm a calling All station,
0: <laughs> right. It's a fine line between solid and calling station and, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, he's really interested in protecting his equity here.
0: You know? <laughs> right. Over sometimes
1: interest. it's okay to just check, call, right. flop, and then give up on turnover right. you know, right. if you don't approve. Okay. But, you know, there's call-down artists. As we call them the ATM, you know? Right. Always pays out. Oh, for so. sure! Exactly, exactly. So, a lot of remember how you play your hand and the actions you take determine who you are.
0: Yeah, and so are you capable of remembering sort of all of those situations and bringing them up in the course of the in course of the future hands, or or is it some sort of a framework where you? just make a mental note. Oh, this guy overvalues his equity. Or, I mean, how, you know, how do you, over the course of say, you know, you're, you're playing with somebody for an entire day or a two day or three day tournament. I mean, are you actually mentally capable of, of recalling those situations or are you somehow labeling people in some method that allows you to. Yeah. Have to I, I, specifics? It's
1: a great question. I, I generalize more and kind of put people in categories. So some okay. hands I'll remember, but I'm not as good like as an Ivy who remember, probably remembers every hand he ever played. You know, mm-hmm. they have photographic memories. I'm not like that. I kind of get a feel for a person and then categorize them, you know, yep. Uh, whether tight, loose, aggressive, passive aggressive. And, um,
0: and then you're able to extrapolate that into other different situations and say, how might a person like this be acting yes. In this and I
1: put it in other situations and then I develop counter strategies. Yeah. Let's say for an example, I've got a passive aggressive opponent, meaning they like to check and raise a lot, right? Yep. They show weakness or feign weakness and then they show strength. So I need a much bigger hand uh, to bet when I'm in position against that player. Mm-hmm. Because a proper counter strategy against that is to mirror them. So when they check, I check. Unless, okay. I have a real, yep. uh, unless I have right. a hand that can withstand a check raise. When they bet, I call. You see? Okay. Because when they're bet, they tend to be weaker. Because they're passive aggressive, they like to check and raise. So when they bet, they tend to be weaker. So against the passive aggressive, the person who's always trying to throw you off balance by taking an opposite action, mm-hmm. I then mirror that. So when they check, I check. When they bet, I call. Okay. You see?
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, So, and that a lot of that I assume is that's the and part of this just experience, but part of that I assume is this is the work you do off the felt that a lot of the recreational players maybe aren't doing is actually intentionally thinking through what are my counter strategies? How do I play against somebody like this? Exactly
1: right. So, how how do you you play? Let's say for your audience, which which comes up a lot, right? Which is. Uh, I get my coaching right. A player goes, "Well, I can, you know, I'd rather play against really good players. I can't beat the idiots. I can't beat the fish. They don't know what they're doing." I get that all the time. Listen, it's first of all, it's phony baloney. If you can't beat, if you can't catch a lamb, you're not going to be able to catch a wolf. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. I'm sorry, you're fooling yourself. All right, you got to learn how to beat the weak before you can beat the strong. And what they really mean is they play better with predictability than unpredictability. Because a lot of times the weaker players don't know where they're at. So how can you know where they're at? Well, the, the simple counter strategy of that is you just play straightforward. Mm-hmm. You know, you bet when you have it, you check when you don't. And the value you get is is there oftentimes a weak player is not betting when they should be betting, right? Uh, they're right. calling when they should be folding, right? Um, so they give up free cards. And so when a, a, when you are against a weak player trying to get them to fold because right. you have a marginal hand and they're calling you with bottom pair, you're the one that's the idiot, <laughs> you know? I can't they believe can you called all the way down with that, right? You know? That's <laughs> well, we've all, and we've all been there because I'm bigger. Realizing, taking the free card and making a hand right. before you bet it. And then when you bet it, you can bet heavier because they call lighter. Right. But a lot of players make the mistake, well, I want to push them out of the pot. I want to push them. I want to push them. I want to, and, they, and they keep calling me. Well, <laughs> there's a higher philosophy that in this world that what you resist persists. So the more you try to prevent something from happening, the more it tends to happen. Mm. So they shouldn't be trying to push people out of pots. First of all, you should be trying to get value for your hand. Right. So why am I pushing them out? You should be wanting them to call. Right. Yeah, and so I think that that's interesting because mindset is, is, is incorrect.
0: That's so good, and I think that's where I think you couple that with the whole results oriented thing too. Where you know we one of the things that we talk about a lot on the podcast is trying to help people get over this being results oriented because they'll say, you know, this idiot called me all the way down. I was ahead until the river, and then he spikes on the river, you know, and the reality is you want them to call. I mean, that's, you got exactly well, what you want.
1: Sometimes you do. Sometimes well, you want to make a shutout bet, but then your bet wasn't big enough. Why don't you just move in? <laughs> right. Well, the pot was 500. Yeah, move in 10,000. See if he calls you. No, you bet 2,000. You overbet the pot, but he still called. Right, right. Well, the reason they get frustrated is they don't accomplish. Remember, success is accomplishing your intention. Hmm. So they make a bet intending the guy to fold, but he calls. So your bet wasn't big enough.
0: Right. Right. But the reality is, you know, if we knew exactly what they had, we'd want them to call all day. And a lot of these situations anyway, the ones that Correct. I'm, re- I'm referring to is people are complaining about somebody hitting a river. When would you, you know, the question I was asking him is, well, if you knew what they had, would you actually want them to fold the turn? Well, no, I want right. them to pay me off. I just don't want them to hit the river. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is part of the game. Is,
1: but you know, here's the there. secret. <laughs> right. Inside of all that is the reason it's not like you manufacture the car, but your opponent can sense when you want them to do something, and they tend to do the opposite. Hmm. They, want, they sense you want them to fold. So they call you. Stop projecting that energy. Hmm. You're projecting the energy. Here, I want you to lay down because you're trying to win the pot. Stop. Success is in the journey, not the destination.
0: All right, Kenneth James. And how do we stop projecting that? What's the... Right, by Coach, Coach, by what realizing
1: we you're not in control of the river. You're not in control of the <clears> cards that come out. All you're in control of is your intention and your action. So first of all, start with changing your intention. My intention shouldn't be to try and push a player out of the pot most of the time, mm. not all the time, but most of the time, mm-hmm. it should be to either get value for your hand, meaning to charge them the highest price that they will still call when you have the best hand. If you're trying to make a bluff and get them out of the pot, that's a different story than just make a bigger bet. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, then it was, you're trying to bluff the wrong person. You should never try to bluff a calling station. That's a concept that people miss. Mm-hmm. Well, I was trying, I was making him up. The guy's a caller. You should never bluff the sheriff. You're going to end up in jail.
0: A little bit like Scott Blumstein, who at the main event or whatever last year said, you know, I don't know if anybody, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not much of a folder.
1: <laughs> now you got it. So you should right. try to bluff this guy, right? right? I, so people who don't fold or people who are only thinking of their own hand, you're trying to get them to represent your hand, right? So level two is, what does he think I have? A lot of players don't even think on right. level two. They're only thinking, hey, I've got an ace. You call me with ace high, what are you thinking? Mm. I'm thinking I got an ace. <laughs> what do you think I have? They don't get to that level. <laughs> right? I've got a pair. You see?
0: I do, yeah.
1: So, so you've got to play at the level of your opponent and win at that level.
0: So, so let me ask you, you this.
1: You've got to meet your opponent at the level they're at and defeat them at that level.
0: Yeah, and I I totally agree with that. I think one of the things that I and I think several of us struggle with is sometimes it just feels like there's so many things to remember. Uh, One of the things that you're referring to is, you know, what player types are you in the pot against? But I also have to remember, you know, what are my chip stacks? What stage of the tournament are we in? Yes. Uh, You know, all of these, you know, what's my range? What's their range? What do they think my range is? What do I think their range is? What's the size of the pot? What's the effective stack? There's so many things. And, you know, we, we sort of um, fall under this shield of, well, we're recreational players. We can't remember all of this, but um, you know, I, I guess I'd be looking to you for any wisdom as far as how do you, how, how do we integrate all of those? How what, do you process like, it? They seem like independent pieces of information, but we know that they, they all, they all flow into one decision. You know, some influence us to, you know, some, some would influence us to raise, some would influence us to fold there. They can be competing, sort of things, how do we integrate those into a decision? Is this simply uh, a function of time and reps? Or is there something that, you know, as right. recreational players, we can be doing off the felt to help us? How do we balance and how do we give the right amount of weight to each of these competing
1: factors? Wow, that's about 20 questions. Yeah, I
0: know. But let me, I see, did, if, let me see if I can, I, do. I,
1: think I, get, I get the concept of your right. question. So start with concepts in general and work to the specific. Let's start with what you said remember that there's five actions a player can take throughout the play of the hand. What are they?
0: Well, I assume that they can, they can, they can check, they can fold, they can bet, they can raise. What am I missing?
1: You got it. That's where it well, was. Oh, did I get right. all five? All right. But that's the basics, right? Okay, we're, we're trying sure. to get to your missing call. Check, oh, call, right, fold, yes. bet, raise. Okay. All our processing is trying to get us, to one, whatever the most profitable action to take is. Right. Everything, whether it's player profiling, whether it's math, whether it's pot odds, whether it's our hand value, we're all trying to process this information to get us to that one decision. So just realize that first. Okay. So we should consider our options. Pre-flop, it's I can either, I can call, raise, or fold. Yep. It's one of those three. And then as poker players, our system is to use a process of elimination. To check off which one, you know, all right, calling isn't profitable here. That means I could raise or fold. Right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and the process that we each use is different for each one of us. But uh, how do you do it? I would first just start with basics. In other words, I wouldn't get into player profiling. Player profiling and psychology should come last. First, should just be your hand, your position. And your in your chip stack and the position mm-hmm. in the tournament, if you're a tournament player, you know, conceptually I know that in the beginning of a tournament, I'm going to take more risk because the chips are worth less value than they were at the end. So I just know that. So I'm more willing to take flips at the end than I am in, or I mean in the beginning than I am in the middle of the tournament. So just know that that means how I'm going to play certain hands. is going to just shift a little bit. You see, I'm going to be more aggressive and, attacking and building a chip stack in the beginning. And in the middle, I'm going to be more protective. Mm -hmm. Right. And you got to make those adaptations and those shifts. And to your specific question, how do you process all this? Just start with basics. What's my, what's my, and and here's the order of priority for tournament players out there. And I'll speak to that since that's what I'm best known for is I would first start with chips, chips and tournaments are your number one factor of decision-making, you know, I'm going to play different hands when I have 100,000 and the average is 25,000 than when I have 10,000 and the average is 25,000. I'm going to mm-hmm. play different hands, just the way yep. it is. And uh, the one who wins the tournament is the one who has all the chips at the end. <laughs> so tournament poker is all about chip stack. So chip stack should be your first factor of consideration, even more than table position. <laughs> uh, second would be table position. So what, what position am I in? Am I acting first, am I acting last, whatever. All right. So that's your second factor of consideration. The third should be your hand. Okay. What do I have? That's why you see people play five, three suited in these hands. They've got a lot of chips right. watching, you know, the grinder the other day yeah. raising with deuce three under the gun. You know yeah. what I mean? It's a joke. He just <laughs> he put on a clinic, man. I'm telling you. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with his image, which comes like fourth or fifth down the line. So we've got, we've got our, our chip stack we should consider first, our table position second, our hand position third, and our opponent, like who we're playing against fourth, right? Yep. yep. So that's the order of priority I would look at those and, and process it. Um, and, and then matching that hand up to your opponents, you see? Yeah. And, and and your stage of the tournament. Uh, if you gave me a, a specific or a semi-specific hand or situation, I could show you how I would process mm-hmm. that if it would be helpful.
0: Yeah, I think we probably don't have time for that, but even though I would love to talk to you for hours and hours about that. But yeah. no, that, that is super helpful. Just That's the kind of framework stuff I'm talking about because you know, as we talk about specific hands, people are like, well, you have to consider that. Oh, you yeah, have to consider that. You have to consider that. And I get it, but it, boy, it's hard to prioritize
1: those things and you know, yeah, it is. It I mean, is. I think, let me give you let me give you one yeah, sure, tip for your sure. audience that, yeah. that, that'd be helpful. One of the hardest hands types of hands to play are your marginal, which means they're on the edge of profitability. Hands right. like King Jack, King Jack, King Ten, you know, and, and your multi multi-way hands, like seven eight suited, you know, Jack Ten suited, uh, two fives, two sixes. Right. Like, all these type of hands are are, are kind of difficult to play as an amateur. Like, should I play this hand or not? I'm facing a bet. I'm facing a raise. Should I call or should I fold? All right. So, basic concept there that helped me a lot in coming out and learning was this thing called the five ten principle, which basically says when I have pre flop and I have a marginal or a multi way hand and I'm fed, facing a bet and a raise. If the bet I'm facing is 10% of the effective stat, the lowest of the two competing stats, right. or more, it's a clear fold. Yep. Or I could raise as a bluff. And if it's 5% or less, it's a clear call.
0: Hmm.
1: And if it's in between, I use my judgment based on my position and my opponent. So let's look at a real-life example. And let me put you in it. Let's say you have, I love it. His, his face lights up. Oh, man, I have to, I have to put it in. All right. So you are you a cash game player or a tournament player? No, just
0: tournaments. Just tournaments. very little okay, cash. So you're yep. in
1: a tournament. You're in the World Series of Poker main event. Okay. And you've got 50,000 chips. Yep. And we've just started. And uh, the blinds are uh, 1 in 200. And somebody raises to 500. And somebody else three bets to fifteen hundred, and you're on the button with uh, pocket nines.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, the five ten rule would say, well, let's let's go ahead and call this. Let's it's a clear okay. call. to make them, odds, right?
1: Play for a set value, right? Or you could raise for value as a premium hand, right? Right. If you think you know, you want to take the lead in the pot, but that's that's a great guideline.
0: And is that yeah. is that basically the guideline is there basically because ten percent it's it's really an implied odds play that if you're putting in ten percent of your play, it's it's just you're not getting the right implied odds versus less than five percent. You are is that really what that's it comes correct. Down That's Correct, that's right. Yeah, yep. okay. That's yeah, right. So you're, so you're eight seven suited if boy, if you're gonna win a you know, a pot that's you know a hundred big blinds or two hundred big blinds.
1: Right. And you only need to hit it one out of twenty times, right?
0: Right, right. Okay. Oh, that's really uh, good.
1: So and 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 there's parameters like maybe sure. if it's if it's Towards the middle of the tournament, it means a little less than 5%, maybe 4 or 3% of my stack. But it's right. just nice to have a guideline. So when yeah. I pick up those hands and I'm facing those situations, say, well, should I even get involved here or not? The yeah, closer it is to 10, the more you should either just get out or make a move with a bluff and raise Right, But you can't call.
0: Well, one of the, one of the things I really like about that is just, um, you know, as somebody who doesn't normally play for 12 hours at a time, 15 hours at a time, and all of a sudden you play these bigger tournaments, you know the the mental energy I feel like I'm expending because I'm having to think about so many things that maybe more experienced players are taking for granted. Right. The more the more that I can find things that are just my decisions made in advance, the better. Things like what am I going to play under the gun, or under the gun plus one, under the gun plus two, where I'm not right. You're staring at Ace Nine, going, "What do I do?". I just know what I'm going to do with it, and I think what I'm hearing from you, the five ten rule, could maybe give some of that as well. Like, oh geez, do you I got play, it? Do I play my pocket sixes here? I already know that this is 15% of my stack, I'm just going to fold. Right. So let's
1: talk about, you bring up another point about when you're first in the pot. Define your hand range from early, middle, and late. Just what hands you're going to start with, and I'll just give you a good template. Let's just start you guys off at 10% in early position, top 10% of hands, mm -hmm. right? Which is basically Ace-8 suited or better, Ace-10 off or better, Broadway suited, and probably King-Queen. Yeah. Okay? Just top 10% of hands in early Middle position, 20% of hands, and around back, 30%. Mm-hmm. 10, 20, 30. Just do that, you know? And if yeah. you're not sure what those are, go on to Poker Cruncher and just slide that little rule yeah. over and it'll tell you what's 10% of hands, what's 20%, one a third of hands. And just oh, and set up your standard. Remember I said this is a competition of value and standards? You got to have a standard first right. of all, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> to, to be told to me, yeah.
1: <laughs> so define that for yourself. You don't have to let me tell. You should define it for yourself. But I'll give those who who aren't sure at all. Just make it. I only play ten. Per, I open with ten percent of hands in early. I open with twenty percent in the middle, and I open with thirty percent or more. Meaning I'm the first in the pot. And when you're first right. in the pot, you should always come in with a raise.
0: Right. And like you said, you can always adjust that as you get more experience. But that's a great place. This to start. works, or I'm
1: too loose. Yeah. I'm too, exactly. So 10, 20,
0: 30. Okay. Yeah. Say, oh, so we got, I got one more question for you. And then I want to okay. give you a chance to tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. Cause we're just, we're running out of time and I hate this. And I sure. know you. it's not on your side. You said you give Whose us all day, but it? I know it's our time. We got, we got to get rolling. But uh, the one question I, and we'll, we'll have you back on if you're willing. So we'll sure. do this another time too. Uh, but, but one question I really wanted to get at too was, you know, as you, as you play obviously, and as you watch these final tables and you comment on these final tables what are those mistakes that you see that are just blaring or glaring that you just say, man, this guy's just less experienced. And you sort of see them repeating themselves. Is it playing too many hands, too few hands, too passively, too aggressively? Is it? Well,
1: yeah, you've just, you've just listed a lot of them. First is they play too many hands. (laughs) Uh, Amateurs, they generally play too many hands. And the reason is they want to be involved. So they should be involved in the hands that they don't play. That's the secret to Uh. Not playing hands is being involved in the hands that you don't play. But play two-hand, many-hands is number one. Number two, they play, their technique is flawed. Meaning, for example, we're just watching, and you'll see this even with pros. Uh, The guy has kings, and he raises pre-flop, and he gets a single opponent calling, and it comes an ace on the flop. Should he check or bet? If you're the pre-flop raiser and your head's up, Yeah, going into the flop, and an overcard comes to a big pair. Proper technique is you should bet like seventy to eighty percent of the time. Yeah, okay. Uh, Because twenty or thirty percent, sometimes you're going to be trapping, and you you're going to want to mix up your play. Right. But a lot of players just see, man. Every time I have kings and ace flops, and they check, their opponent sees their frustration and their weakness, and they bet, and then they and they don't even have it. Right. So second mistake is they have flawed. Uh, principles and techniques of approach uh so the third then is then they show their emotions or their feelings um uh, whether in their body language during the play of a hand you can tell when a flop hits a person or when right. they don't based on their interest level whether they move forward or back or you can see it in their forehead you know or they're mm. squinching you know so for amateurs the, the third biggest mistake is you can read them like a book. They might as well tell you what, you know, you know, they check. I, I missed it. Go right. ahead. Take it. You <laughs> of know. course,
0: an ace came on the flop. Right. Yeah,
1: of course. You know, this ace happens. Magnates. And the hand's not even over yet. They're right. telling their person. This right. is always, you know. Uh, yeah. Another mistake is they expose their hand without being, without being paid.
0: Go so on. Oh, showing they hands.
1: Have yeah. it, they show, hey, look, I have it. You know, if they, if they get fed off the pot, they show and, and smart players just see their cards and then replay, oh, they played this hand from this position. Right. So they get a line. So whenever you expose a hand and some amateurs go, well, I want to get my opponent on tilt. No, you're the one that's on tilt. <laughs> right. <You never> get <laughs> As much value as you give up when you that's expose good. your hand without getting paid. So yeah, that's, that's a big mistake amateurs make is they expose their hand without getting paid. Never show your cards ever yeah. unless somebody pays to see them.
0: That's good, and that's that's an area that I continue to work on. I think you know I get I get caught up in the oh it's kind of a fun like home game kind of thing, right. and you know, you know and I'm you think hey this you, is I'm fun and that it's any such guys a. Your
1: call. And anybody who comes in and asks a question on the next one, we'll yeah. give it next time I do a show we're going to give a, a copy. We'll email them a copy of my list of the top 10 mistakes oh, okay. that amateur players make. How, how
0: about, uh, how about, uh, cause we don't do the show live. How about anybody that tweets and tags you with a question? How is, would that good. work? Or we'll, we'll do something like that. We'll but do I want to more.
1: connect it to your show rather than me. I want it to connect it to you. Yeah. Your yeah. Show.
0: All right. So, so send it, but, the- but,
1: but, but I'll put that out there and I'll give you something. We'll send it to them, whatever, Perfect. uh, however we get it to them. We don't know how we're going to do it, but, but that's yeah. one thing uh I just like to offer your listeners Perfect. Thank because you. as you one of the things that you should be doing is identifying and playing in the best game. And one of the main factors of playing in the best game is identifying the mistakes of your opponents because playing in a game with weaker opponents, right? So right. you gotta look at a game and see, ooh, he's playing too many hands. Oh, I can tell what he has. You know, um, another mistake is they their bet sizes. Is off, you yeah. know. Uh, Do you normally they,
0: see it too high, too too much, or too little? What's a normal mistake that you see people make?
1: Normal mistake usually is in bet sizing, is that they don't bet enough. Usually, okay. Uh, they don't size their bets acor- They don't size their bets properly, and then uh, lastly, another mistake: they just keep rolling off my. Yeah, right. Well, you got a top 10. If so. they put too much of a percentage of their stack, like right. especially in cash games, they'll have 200, right? A guy will make a $75 bet and right. they'll put 75 of 200 and then, and then the next card they'll throw their hand away. Right. Never, you should never be putting in more than a third of your stack and throwing your hand away.
0: Yeah, I've kind of heard that money's 30% money's rule, so that's consistent probably. with what you're saying.
1: Yeah, you, yeah, you're just giving money away. It's like putting, like, let's say you're playing out the hand and you started with 200 Now you're down to $40 and the guy bakes a river bet and you throw your hand away. Right. It's just, so stuff like that is just, you can't overcome.
0: <laughs> and so it's you so, see that you're immediately so Let's going, get
1: these, let's get yeah. some of your listeners. Next time I'm on, maybe they can yeah. write in some questions ahead of time. And when you, yeah, and then you can present them to me, even though it's yeah. not live now. Yeah. and then for everyone that we use we'll send a copy of uh, the top 10 mistakes players make in a game and what to avoid yourself
0: alright everybody you heard it so what we'll do is you submit your questions to, to poker tag, tag us on Twitter or through the Facebook group if we use your question next time with Kenna James we'll send you a list of that top 10 mistakes we'll get it done that I'll way along
1: with an autographed picture I'll send you in. Some oh book.
0: sweet alright well I'm going to be asking a question next time so I get an autographed picture <laughs> so
1: it was great <laughs> man, but you know what he doesn't ask much. Your sidekick just uh, smiles. No, he's, no, he, he knows it all. That's the problem. I've been waiting. I, I did want to yeah, ask you. Yeah, yeah I, I got to get question. a question for you. We haven't even heard you. You got this beautiful smile and oh, everything. Great. Right. I've been working on that smile, actually. Yeah, let me hear the voice. You got a question? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to take you back to that player
0: profile, kind of for fun. What, what do you see or think others view your player profile as, as you play? What do you think they're
1: uh, – Danger. you changed that purposely? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I missed it. Dangerous. Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> what, Dangerous what gives them that? Predictable, probably uh, loose aggressive. Okay. Plays a lot of hands, plays them aggressively. Uh, you know, more than, more than a tight aggressive, you know, probably more loose aggressive. And do you ever mess with that to purposely change Absolutely. that? Uh, I, I adapt okay. and change it all the time. I, I Being aware of what you're projecting and – then realizing which opponents are picking up on that
0: okay.
1: and flipping the script is what the game is all about. Right. Okay. So for poker at my level, for me starts on level three. What do I think my opponent thinks that I have? It just right. starts there and then it goes okay. to four five and six. So I like to play against thinking players who's, who are thinking about what I'm doing and then flipping okay. the script on that. So, no, my- when, uh, when they're calling me, I have it. And when they're folding, I don't.
0: And now in the games that we're playing, I'm guessing a lot of tables, there'll be one, maybe two players that are paying attention to that. The rest are kind of playing their cards for the most part. Would you...
1: uh, I would say more at my level, you know, because for sure, I mean, at level. My level, I'm just talking about $1,000 buying tournaments and up, but I play everything. I mean, I All don't right. only play those now during – When it's outside a World Series of Poker, you know, I'm playing two or $300 buy-in tournaments, too. Okay. So the higher level buy-ins you go, though, and the higher stakes you go, the more players are profiling and doing psychological uh, tendencies. The lower level buy-ins, the lower level cash games, players just aren't up to uh, most of them. Like seventy percent, sixty percent, just aren't up to they're just trying to figure out the game themselves, let alone what they're doing, let alone what their (laughs) opponent is doing. Right right? So at their level, they're down and in, meaning, okay, I've got to just figure out these chips and these cards and what hands I should be playing. And, you know, we'll, you know, let alone what, forget about what he's doing over there. Right. And, oh, there's a guy who's sitting over across the table. Yeah, right? when, did he
0: get, when did he get there?
1: Yeah. When did he get there? When did you show up? Oh, there's cards out there. Oh, there's a deal. Oh, that dealer, you're the one that dealt me that hand, you son of a gun. You know? So then after you get your own kind of stuff figured out, right? and you're, you're comfortable, you know what your opening hand range is, you know what you're doing this, you know what your bet sizing is, you know, what, then you can start to loosen up and say, okay, now I can start, fo- instead of down and in, I can focus up and out. Who are like they, it. and what are they doing, and like how it. does that relate to my hand? And then you can start real competition, which is, oh, really? You have uh you have a big hand? Okay, good. Here, here, here's a here's a three bet for you. How do you like the slice of this?
0: How <laughs> do you like I them know, apples? <laughs> I know you
1: like to check I know you like to check your raise with second pair. Here, buddy. Right. Here's a raise for you. How do you like your second pair now? <laughs> so when he check raises and I'm the next guy, and I only have Jack High, I just put in a, a three bet to him and watch him fold like a cheap suit, you know? Nice. I like it. Anyway, uh, well, so I yeah. love this time with you guys. It's been awesome.
0: Yeah, good times, uh, and the time just flew by. I, I want to make sure we give you a chance here, though. To I know you do some coaching and do some both poker coaching as well as some life coaching. I think. But yeah, I'm you know, a, tell I'm tell, a, tell us a little bit about who you are. How do people yeah, connect with you and that sort of thing?
1: Sounds incongruent, but it's really not because how people live their life a lot of time has a lot to do with how they play the game of poker. It yeah, really transfers onto the felt. You know. And so I kind of coordinate both of those and improve the quality, not of their poker game, but of their life. So all in the effort to just improve um, overall performance both on and off the felt.
0: Love so it. So how, how do people connect with you?
1: Interested can obviously, to go to my website, kind of james.com. They can uh, Twitter me, private message me. There's all, all kinds of ways they can ask you about it. Uh, there's a contact form on my website to just go and email me and ask for more information. Um, and as far as pricing, it depends. Usually it's, it's, it's very expensive for private one-on-one coaching. Right. Uh, as much as anywhere from hundred to 200 an hour, depending on what program you're on. And, but sometimes, you know, I get groups of people and things like that. We can do group sessions or, and, and things like that. So they can contact me there for that if they're interested other than that, I'm on the HPT. Uh, yeah, Tune yep. into the Heartland Poker Tour and uh, watch that. And uh, if you're out in Vegas, come by. If you're listeners, I'd I'd love to hear from them. Um, yeah. And uh, you can also email me. My personal email is kenna1218 at hotmail.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank thank you for that. And I'll put all those contact, all those link things in our show notes. And if anybody didn't catch that stuff, feel free to get a hold of me, and uh, and I'll pass yep. Kenna's information. Onto you as well, and I know we're going to be airing this in a few weeks, so uh, we won't know how you did in the main event. But hopefully, we'll be airing this. Uh, yeah, and, so, and sort man. of promoting I'm it as a as a tomorrow, dude at the final expects,
1: table. Uh, day two uh, A is today. I'm in day two tomorrow, and um,
0: how, how many chips are you taking through?
1: Thirty thousand.
0: Okay, plenty uh, of chips. In this I this
1: fifty, so I, I slid backwards. I had I was up to about a hundred K, and I had a really key hand. Yeah. Um, the cameras were on and everything. I had raised with Ace Two. What do you? How do you play this hand? Do we have time? <laughs> oh <play this> <laughs> we, we gotta
0: we gotta be we gotta be quick. Give us like a three minute uh, three minute deal. less than
1: three minutes. This is one All minute. Right. You raise with Ace Two of clubs in middle position. Yep. You get three bet by the button. Fold it back to you. You call. The flop okay. is six six five with two clubs. Uh, your action. What do you do?
0: What's your chips? How many does
1: he you have? have Ninety five thousand. She has thirty thirty five
0: thousand. And how well? How much is in the pot at this point?
1: Uh, seven uh seven
0: thousand. Yeah. Well, you you know they're going to continue, right? I mean, you know if you check, they're going to continue. So it's no, all like know we're
1: trying to figure out what you're going to do.
0: Well, no, that's what I'm trying to think through, though. Like, if I probably don't want to lead into that pot. I guess the question is, uh, I mean, maybe I could lead into it. That looks kind of a kind so of a six, weird six, bet. Five, I think so. It's, two
1: clubs. So you check.
0: Yeah. I mean, I. I Man, I think I check, and then I just have to decide if I'm going to
1: trade. You check, and she bets. um, There's 7,000 in the pot. She bets a standard half-size pot, 3,500. Action back to you.
0: She's got about 30 behind. Um, Well, I don't know. It's it's the main event, dude. I don't play 10,000 buy-in, so that's where the price point is hard for me. But, I mean, I think in in a standard tournament that I play, a weekly tournament, I think I just, with the chip stacks, I think I just ship it there.
1: Okay, I called.
0: Okay, <laughs> so over oh for 1.
1: 6-6-5. So, okay. six, six <laughs>
0: well, I got a I got, figure. I probably got 12 outs, right? I probably got, you know, the, the nine clubs and the three aces. May, well, the aces may be good. With the paired board, I might get away with a bad kicker.
1: Right. So I called for value.
0: Yeah. Okay, okay, for value.
1: Yeah, well, you, because I got the flush draw and I got an ace, right? So I've got possibly 12 outs.
0: Okay, and you could be ahead of her range. I mean, she could be doing this with king queen. I don't know and-
1: if I could be ahead of her range, yeah, but okay. I'm just talking about uh, gotcha. value as far as drawing equity. value and implied odds. Gotcha. Yep. So six six five two clubs one spade seven of spades on the turn. Mm-hmm. Action on you now. Pot's now eleven thousand. Well, I mean. It, it, you, <sighs> You're playing the ten thousand dollar main event at the World Series, right?
0: I know that's what you're. That's what you're. You're killing me here, dude. I mean, I think it's a. If I guess, if I call the flop, if I check call the flop, I probably check call the turn.
1: So you check, she bets fifty five hundred, and she's got about twenty thousand left.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still, I still probably rip it on the flop, but on the turn, I don't know. I mean, I'm. You're killing me, dude. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, cause really, I mean, now what am I, cameras I, I mean, are rolling? You've got everybody
1: watching. Well, right. You've got a million people
0: that's, watching. That's why I but ripped it on the flop. So I put the decision back on 30 her. 30 I don't want period. these decisions.
1: And you're stuttering and the sweat is coming down. The <laughs> right.
0: Side the now plane. I'm tanking. Oh my God, I'm tanking. And they're looking at me. Uh, you know, at that point I probably just fold the turn. I if, shipped as, it as, as played. I mean, I probably shipped the flop, but if I just check, call yeah. the flop. And I, and I just don't get there now I think my ace could be bad because I mean she's there with eight nine she continues to show aggression I don't know that my ace is any good so I I'm,
1: shipped it to represent I mean I knew the board was wet but yeah you know I could I could uh filled up there I could yeah have, you
0: could have, you could have eight nine there seven. with you
1: yeah I when could you have backed into eight nine uh, you call pre-flop, Yeah, oh so I thought there was a lot of hands I thought I could uh, okay. represent plus it's her whole tournament on the right. Line. Well, right, exactly.
0: That's why I and like the plop chip. So I'm
1: uh, um, leveraging. I didn't like the way I played the hand, but I did play it that way. She called me eventually, and she had two yeah. kings. So I did have an ace or any club. Okay, uh, yeah. So I had 12 outs, but I, bl- I whiffed. Right. And, uh, yeah, she. I, I mean, 35000 in a hand, which I didn't yeah. think I really need to. And, I mean, you, uh,
0: you get her to fold ace, king, ace, queen, ace, jack. You get her to fold all those
1: sort of hands. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, so that was a good way to end. I'd love to put you on the hot seat.
0: <laughs> I love it. It's good for me. I like to ask the questions. I don't like to answer them. So I know. I
1: noticed that me. about you. I noticed that about you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we're going to let you go here. Uh, good luck. Uh, thanks, obviously, guy, day two. Man. Hopefully, we can report some man. good things to our listeners, and uh, and we'll I have you back you. on for some more questions.
1: Great joining you. Enjoy the journey, everybody. Take, Take care, Appreciate Kenneth.
0: it. Okay, so that's it for today. Uh, thanks once again to Kenna James for your time, to Stacey Nelson for doing that interview with me. Next week, you'll hear from Sherry Bakovsky, the author of The Kaizen of Poker, and then we've got a few other interviews coming up. If you want to support us, man, uh, like us, rate us, review us, follow us, uh, Facebook group us, all of that stuff. If you want to wear a patch, just let me know. All I need is your address, and I'll ship those out to you. There's no cost for that. If you want to rock a uh, rec poker hat or shirt or sweatshirt, uh, you can go to floptheworld.com slash poker. And, of course, thanks again to our sponsor, Running Aces Racetrack and Casino. Uh, Let's keep this thing going, man. Thanks for all your support and encouragement, and we will chat with you next week.